0: Amen. You need to know what you believe. Amen. Amen. So if you have your Bible, we're going to start in a peculiar place. Genesis chapter 48. I know you thought I was going to say Acts. And I promise you we're going to get to Acts. But we're going to start in Genesis chapter 48 and beginning with verse 13. Genesis chapter 48 and 13. Brother Dennis, I am on the rare occasion that I'm teaching from handwritten notes, so I don't have the verses in front of me, so I'll wait for you to put them on screen before I read them. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand, towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand, towards Israel's right hand, and brought them near unto him. And Israel stretched out his right hand, and laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger. And his left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands unwittingly, for, for Manasseh was the firstborn. Skipping down to verse 17. And when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head unto Manasseh's head. And Joseph said unto his father, Not so, my father. For this is the firstborn. Put thy right hand upon his head. So in in ancient Near East, the blessing of being firstborn was a tremendously important blessing. It's a blessing that was imparted to the eldest son in the household, and he became uh, the one who followed in his father's stead, and he became, when his father passed away, he became the head of the household, and he inherited the covenant blessing, and he inherited the inheritance of all that had belonged to his father, and it was a very, very important thing to have the birthright to have that that right that belongs to the firstborn amen you remember very well the stories in Scripture revolving around that that birthright. And so you know you've heard from Sunday school on up of how important the birthright is. It's a critically important thing. It's it's not just finances. It's honor. It's prestige. It's position. It is what you are born into. It is your rightful place as the firstborn in the family. But here we find a, a couple of generations removed from Abraham and Jacob is near his death. They are in Egypt now. Joseph ha- and his family are there with him. You remember Joseph has been sold into slavery and he has risen to power and then the famine has come and 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 the family has relocated to Egypt. And there in Egypt Jacob is near death. And Jacob is an old man and he is uh, his sight is going and he doesn't see very well and he he's right at the very edge of death and he is blessing his 12 sons, and he's passing on to them the blessings that, that he has for them. And it comes Joseph's turn to be blessed. And Joseph brings his two sons to stand in his stead. And he brings Ephraim and Manasseh, Manasseh being the eldest, Ephraim being the youngest. And whenever he walks up to his dad's bed, he carefully Places the oldest son on the right hand side of the bed. And the youngest son. On the left-hand side, because when Jacob lays his hands upon them, that, that birthright, that first blessing, the blessing that goes to the firstborn is going to be conferred by the right hand, and that, that other blessing is going to be conferred by the left hand. And Joseph understands that Jacob's eyesight is weak, and he's not as strong as he used to be, and he may not realize which boy is which, so he's careful to put the boys beside the bed in the right order. Then Jacob lifts his hands and crosses his arms and lays his right hand upon the younger and his left hand upon the elder. And Joseph immediately intervenes. He says, whoa, stop, Dad. You got it wrong. I've I, I done my best. I've tried to present them to you in the right way. I, I, I've done everything I could, but I, I need to stop you for a minute. You, you weren't supposed to cross your hands. You're supposed to put here, let me put the right hand back on, on the older son. And Jacob tells him, he says, I know exactly what I'm doing. The eldest will be great. But the younger will be greater than the older. The second son is going to get the blessing. Uh, Amen. The firstborn son is going to be blessed. uh, But the second son is going to get that critical birthright blessing. Now this is not the first time that happened in scripture. If you'll remember Jacob himself stole the birthright blessing as the second born under Esau. It was it was Esau's right to have the birthright. And and through conniving and cunning, Joseph, I mean Jacob got Esau to sell him the birthright. And then whenever it came time for his daddy to die, when Isaac was on his deathbed, it was Jacob who dressed up like his brother with his mother help and and went in and fooled his father into conferring upon him that birthright blessing. He was a deceiver and he stole the birthright. But now we find ourselves one generation removed and the opportunity exists to put things right. Right? To put things back in the order they're supposed to be in. Why in the world would you allow it to continue? Why would you let the error be multiplied? Well, to understand that, you have to understand that it was never an error in the first place. Romans chapter 9 and verse 13 says, As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I Hated. You have to understand. Jacob did not steal the blessing. Now Jacob connived his way into it, but God said from the mother's womb, the younger was going to be greater than the elder. God said, Jacob, I loved, but he saw I hated. I want you to understand that God used. Jacob and Esau to make a very important statement and 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 then he uses the the second born of Joseph under Jacob to reinforce that very important statement. The statement is this that God will bless the second birth not the first. That's the principle upon which we talk about the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. So you must be born uh Again, from from Jacob and Esau forward, God's saying, I will not bless the firstborn. I will not bless that first birth. I'm gonna bless the second born. And it's it may look like an accident when Jacob stole the birthright from Esau. It may have looked like he, you know, he connived his way into it, but now we have Jacob clear-eyed. Amen. He he while his eyes are dim from age, he knows exactly what he's doing. This is not a mistake. He's making a statement God is saying amen I'm only going to bless the second birth flip with me in your Bible if you will to John chapter 3 and verse 3 because there a ruler by the name of Nicodemus a student of the word of God a scholar comes to Jesus by night and he begins to ask him questions about what he needs to do to be saved. And Jesus told him in John chapter 3 and verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again. He cannot see the kingdom of heaven. God will not bless your first birth. Amen. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how religious you are. It doesn't matter how well you conduct yourself. Amen. There's no blessing going to come to the first birth. A man must be born again. The difference between Jacob and Esau is that Esau represents the earthly man. Esau represents the carnal man. Esau was a Guys, don't get offended. Esau was a hunter. He was a worker. He was a warrior. He was gruff. He was strong. He was a manly man. Jacob was a dreamer. He was mama's boy. He wrestled with God. He sought the things of God. You wouldn't find him in the field with his bow and arrow in his hand. You'd find him lingering around the tents where daddy talked to God. And and so Jacob represents the spiritual man. Uh, Esau represents to us what we get from our first birth. You were born of your mother. You were born under flesh. You were born under sin. And you're a a manly man. You're a carnal man. You're an earthly person. Uh, You inherited all the sin and care. Character attributes of Adam and Eve. You're you're bound in sin. You're you're formed in sin. And and those are the things that compel you. You're driven by the lust of your flesh. Can you get an amen? You know, I heard a story today, and I don't know how it fits in right here, but it's in my mind. I'm going to share it. When an Eskimo wants to kill a wolf, you know what he does? He takes a very sharp knife, and he coats it with blood. He lets it freeze, and he coats it again, he lets it freeze. He does that until he has that knife blade completely covered in blood, frozen blood. Then he sets it in the tundra, blade up, fixes it in place, and leaves it there. And overnight, the wolf comes, smells the fresh, frozen blood, and begins to lick it with his tongue. And as he licks it, it melts, and he tastes fresh blood, and it causes the fury of his desire for blood, the blood lust they call it to be kicked into high gear, and he licks all the more and he and he he ferociously attacks that that knife with the blood on it and the point comes where the ice is gone, and the blade is exposed, and the blood that he's drinking is his own blood, and he doesn't even realize it he just keeps licking the knife. The next morning, the Eskimo goes out and he's dead in the snow because he's bled himself to death. That's the way your flesh will do you. It's never satisfied. It's never going to be, it's never going to reach the point where it says enough is enough. Your fleshly man, that earthly man, that carnal man formed under sin will never find peace. It'll never find happiness. Listen, you say, well, Brother McCauley, give me all the money in the world and I'll be happy. I can point you to a lot of movie stars and Hollywood elite and people who who have everything you ever dreamed you might want to have and and had that tenfold who are the most oppressed people in the world. They're taking their lives. They're taking drugs and alcohol and and everything they can to hide themselves from the pressure of life because none of that is satisfying. None of that will ever make the heart, make the soul Whole. But the spiritual man, he hungers after the things of God. Uh, there's something in the presence of God uh, that you don't need money and you don't need position and you don't need wealth and you don't need power and you don't need titles and you don't need prestige. Uh, there's something in the presence of God that does for you what all the riches in the world cannot do for you, that does for you what all the greatest drugs in the world can never do for you, that does for you what nothing in this world can do for you. That's the difference between the fleshly man and the spiritual man. The principle in the simple story with Jacob and Joseph and Manasseh and Ephraim is that God will not bless that firstborn. God will not bless that firstborn fleshly man what is flesh is flesh it's conceived in iniquity it's born in sin but that which is spirit is spirit and you have to be born again to inherit the kingdom of god amen john chapter 3 and verse 5 says jesus answered verily verily i say unto thee except a man be born of water and of spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of god water and spirit i'm here to tell you that it takes being born again to get into heaven it doesn't matter how good you are it doesn't matter how religious you are it doesn't matter what kind of life you've lived that you may feel like qualifies you it doesn't matter what there's only one thing that can get you through heaven and that's being or get you into heaven that's being born again of water and of spirit you must be born again amen It's a two-part process. It's a birth of water and a birth of spirit. The born of water is baptism. Baptism in the name of Jesus Christ is an essential part of salvation. You've got to come to an altar, repent of your sins. You go down in that water in the name of Jesus Christ, you've been born of the water. But you're not done when you're born of the water. You still have to be born of the spirit. That is Holy Ghost baptism. And those two things are different and distinct. Somewhere along the way, you're going to run into somebody in your life that's going to tell you why there's no difference. When you, when you had faith in God and you repent of your sins and you, you profess that faith by being baptized in the name of Jesus, God just filled you with the Holy Ghost. It just, it just happened. You, just, you got it. No, that's not the way the Bible teaches it. Amen. There's a distinct difference between the two. Let's go to the book of Acts chapter 8 and verse 12. Acts chapter 8 and verse 12. It says this. Philip went to Samaria preaching. And when they, Philip preached, they believed what he preached. And so at verse 12 says, But when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. So they they believed, they were baptized, they even had the visitation of God. There are miracles and signs that are done. Go on to verse 15. Said, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Verse 16. I, I skipped a verse in there, didn't I, Dennis? Yeah, back me up. I went straight from, there you go. I went to the go to verse 14, not 15. He did what I told him to do. Amen. Verse 14 says, Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they'd been baptized. But they hadn't received the Holy Ghost yet. They sent unto them Peter and John. Now verse fifteen says that when they were come down, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Verse sixteen explains, for as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. There is a distinct difference between being baptized in the name of Jesus and receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. Verse seventeen says, Then laid they their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. And and so when they begin they they what I want you to see in this story, first of all, is that baptism is different. Spirit baptism is different than water baptism. It's a distinct, different thing. Secondly, when he preached to them, he knew they believed because they got baptized, but he knew they had not yet received the Holy Ghost, which tells me there is an evidence of receiving the Holy Ghost. There's some way that you know somebody gets it. Then when they laid their hands on them, they prayed, and they got the Holy Ghost. They knew they got it. As a matter of fact, if I had kept reading that guy they were talking about, Simon. Simon is a fellow who's dabbled in witchcraft. And and, and whenever he sees Peter lay his hands on them and they receive the Holy Ghost, Simon sees something transpire that's so powerful, he comes and says, you know what? I'd like to buy that trick. Why don't you tell me how I can do that? I'll pay you money to know how to do that. And so there was evidence of spirit baptism. It was different and distinct from water baptism. Go back to John chapter 3. And verse 7, John chapter 3 and verse 7, this is Jesus explaining the difference. He says, marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. Talking about spirit baptism. Verse 8, the wind blows where it listeth. I was sitting in my office putting these notes together this afternoon, and you could hear the wind blowing in here. And I thought at this point I'm going to stop and say, just listen. But I don't hear it no more. (laughs) But you can hear the wind when it blows. It makes a sound. And Jesus said, You hear the, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh. In other words, you can't see it. You can't point it and say, that's the wind. You hear it, and you may see the effects of it. And then he said, and whither it goeth, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. That's the way it is when you receive the Holy Ghost. There is an audible sound. There's an audible evidence amen there there's not a question of well god came into my heart no that they knew because they heard they knew because jesus said it's like the sound of the wind you know it you may not know where it come from you may not know where it's going but you know it because you heard it that's the way it is when somebody receives the baptism of the holy ghost go to acts chapter 2 Beginning in verse 1, Acts chapter 2 and verse 1 says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. Verse 2 said, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them and they were fill, all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. I'm talking about an audible evidence of spirit baptism. They spoke with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. They knew when they received it. The people around them knew when they received it because when they received the Holy Ghost, they spoke with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. Just like Jesus said, it's like the wind. You, you can't... You don't know where it comes from, you don't know where it's going, but you hear it blowing. And whenever somebody gets a baptism of the Holy Ghost, when they when they receive that spirit baptism, you don't know where it came from and you don't know where it's going, but you hear it when it comes. Amen? Amen. Acts chapter 10, one of the pivotal moments in the first century church where the church finally expands beyond Judaism and Jewish believers to Gentile believers and Cornelius is a Roman centurion there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius a a centurion of of the band called the Italian band he was a devout man and one that feared God with all his house which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always and now hmm let me stop right there, cause I done run ahead of myself again. So the point is, Cornelius was a religious man. This is me without my iPad in front of me. This is before there was an iPad. There was my iPad, and that's what I've got tonight. Amen. G- Cornelius was a good man who served God. I'm gonna tell you, there's some good people in this in this world who's, who who serve God to the best of their ability they still need the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They still need the Acts 2.38 experience. Cornelius was such a good man that God sent an angel to him, and the angel told him, send for Peter. Now go to verse 5. It says, and now the angel told this, said, now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter, verse 6, He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside, and he shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And so even though Cornelius is a good man, even though Cornelius is a religious man, even though Cornelius worships God, God sends an angel and said, you need to go get a preacher to preach to you because there's something more that you need. Fast forwarding, I could spend the whole night talking about the story of Peter on the rooftop and all that transpires to get Peter to Cornelius' house, but let's skip all that. Let's go to Acts chapter 10 and verse 44. It says, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. Verse 45, and they, uh, the circumcision which believed, were astonished, as many as came came with Peter because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. Verse 46. For they heard them. They did what? They heard them. They heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. So I want you to see Cornelius is a good man. He's a religious man, but God has more for him. And when Peter comes and preaches to him, Cornelius received the Holy Ghost. He was spirit baptized, and they knew it because they heard the sound. He he spoke with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave the utterance. But that still wasn't the end of the story. You see, Cornelius hadn't been baptized yet, and Jesus didn't. Didn't say you got to be born of the spirit to enter the kingdom of heaven. He said you must be born of water and of spirit. A conjunction, and is a conjunction that ties two things together. Both have to be true for the for the statement. In other words, if you get a letter from the uh, if you, your insurance sends you a check, Ryan, God forbid, totals this truck tonight, and and they send Ryan a check, and the check says Ryan Anderson or Alicia Anderson either one of them can take it to the bank and either one of them can cash it. But if the check says Ryan Anderson and Alicia Anderson, you can go and go to the bank by yourself all you want to. You're not getting done until Alicia's with you because and means both have to be fulfilled. Both have to be present. And so when Jesus said a man must be warned of water and spirit, And so even though they've been Holy Ghost baptized, even though they received the Spirit of God and they spoke with the tongues the Spirit of God gave them the utterance, they've still got to go to the water and get baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus said there's no other way to get to heaven Amen. There's no other way to be saved. I hate to shut the door on a whole lot of good folks, but I'm telling you, you must be born again. You must be born of water and of spirit. You have to repent of your sins. You have to be uh, baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and you must be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's not an either-or. It's not a sometimes. It's not a most of the time. It's not if you're lucky. It is the Word of God. It is what is necessary to enter the kingdom of heaven. Amen you got room for one more example. Acts chapter 19. Paul traveling in, in Corinth. And it, it says that while he was at Corinth, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples there. He said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. So, He he comes to these people, they're believers, they're religious, they, they worship God, they love God, they're trying to serve God, and the first question he asked them is, have you received the Holy Ghost? And they said, we didn't even know there was a Holy Ghost. So he goes on and said unto them, unto what then were you baptized? And they said, unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John, verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. So these are disciples of John the Baptist. They have repented. That's what John's baptism was. It's a baptism of repentance. They have repented. They have not been baptized in Jesus' name. They've been baptized. They were baptized unto John. They've not been baptized unto Jesus. And so when they heard this, when Paul preached this to them, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Aren't you thankful for the truth of Jesus' name, baptism? And then verse 6 says, And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. There was an audible Evidence that they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. All the elements are there. They repented, they were baptized in Jesus' name, and they received the gift of the Holy Ghost. They were born of water and of spirit. That's what it takes to get to heaven. Amen. Amen. I'm gonna now go to your candy stick. Everybody can quote it with me. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent. And be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Who knows what the next verse says? For this promise is to you and to your children, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And I'm here to tell you he's still calling. Amen. The, the message is simple. It's not profound. I didn't come to you tonight with a a, a, a a biblical truth that it took me four years of grad school to dig out. I'm coming to you with a simple basic. You have to be born again. Believe it or not, there are people among us who need to be born again. Amen. Believe it or not, we gather on Sunday morning to worship. We, there are people in, in the congregation who need the experience that we're talking about. And so it's up to you and I, if we're spirit-filled, if you're spirit-filled, it's up to you and me to create that kind of atmosphere where the Holy Ghost can flow. Amen. That's why we pray before church. That's why we spend time during the week praying and fasting, because how we live our life at home impacts what happens in the service on Sunday. Amen. That's why we get our heart right and we come to pre-service prayer and we get prayed through to where the Holy Ghost is flowing through us because there are people here on any given Sunday who need the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They need that experience. And honey, if they can't get it here, they can't get it anywhere. This is the church. This is an apostolic church. This is a Holy Ghost-filled church. This is His church. Amen? So... Let me see if I can wrap it all up. Jacob knew exactly what he was doing. Very deliberately, he crossed his hands. I think that there's more to the story even than meets the eyes. Because I believe that in in the crossed hands, there's an allusion to the cross of Calvary and, and that place where God would once and forever establish the fact that he blesses the second birth you must be born again you can't get to heaven without going through that cross amen you can't get to heaven without going through the cross of Jesus Christ what did he do on the cross he died he was buried and he was resurrected death burial and resurrection that's the gospel of Jesus Christ that's what Peter preached. Peter preached repentance is death you got to die out to your flesh being buried with him is baptism. We are baptized into Jesus Christ. We are buried with Jesus Christ in baptism. And the Holy Ghost is that resurrection and life, that life-giving spirit. When you receive the Holy Ghost, you experience the resurrection and life. You have to go through the cross to get to heaven. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? I'm gonna, I'm about to try to pray every, every, every one of you through to the baptism of the Holy Ghost.